The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good morning. Today's scripture is from Luke chapter 2, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him, to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Hope you're well. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Church. Looking forward to getting into the word with you all. Um, we are in the second week of Advent. We're going to be looking at the life of Anna and how Anna responded to her hunger for God. And uh, hunger for God's presence is something we've been talking about all the way through this uh, season, through the Exodus, through this fall. Um, but in this story of Anna longing for the presence of God, we see the way she kind of responded to that hunger for God and what that means for us. And we've been praying um, as a church that this Advent season wouldn't be a season merely of like intellectual kind of like feeling like, yeah, we want to hunger for Jesus, but actually orienting our lives around that hunger. And, uh, and some of the way Anna responded is going to lead us into that. And so um, we're going to pray for a moment. And as you pray, I just want to remind us again that Jesus is here. He's with us. He's present. He knows you. He knows your story. He knows what the holiday season is like for you. Uh, for some of you, it's really exciting. For some of you, it's a really, it's a really painful season. It can be a really hard season for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And I just want you to hear that God sees you, he knows you, he cares about you, and he's here right now. And so let's calm our hearts before um, the God of the universe and ask him to speak to us. Um, we'll take kind of a, a minute of silence here uh, before we even ask him of anything, just to slow our hearts down uh, before him. Father, would you um, help us to be still and know that you are God. That you reign right now as men and women and children all around this world are gathering to worship you as the king of the universe, a little baby that was born 2,000 years ago, that all around this world, um, men and women and children are worshiping you as the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Um, the Son of God who reigns and who redeems and who saves and who restores and who gives rest and joy and life. And we want to this morning, we want to worship you, but we also want to hear from you. And so we say thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that you've inspired your word and given this to us as a gift to hear you speak. And so would you help us this morning not merely to hear about you, not merely to kind of learn some facts about history, but to listen to your voice through your word. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you cultivate in us a hunger for you? Would you help us to respond to what you're doing in our hearts, in our community, in this world, in this city? And we pray that you would be glorified in this time together. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 
Um, I was yesterday driving around the city with some friends uh, that are new to Denver and showing them different parts of, of the city. And I kind of like in reflection on it last night, I was thinking a lot of, I think about the city largely in terms of where certain restaurants are. Like over here are these restaurants and over here are these cool restaurants. And it's one of the things I love about Denver. There are a lot of wonderful restaurants. Um, if you're new to Denver, it's important to know that Denver's not known for any particular food. We just, we're not. We don't have like Giordano's Pizza, which is a bummer. Because uh, it was great. Chicago land was great. I live right by Giordano's. You love it. We don't have like uh, Franklin Barbecue if for Texas folks in Austin. We don't have any good barbecue, really. I'm from Kansas City. Uh, Post Oak, though, on Tennyson Street. It's new. Post Oak. Any Post Oak fans? It's new. You should try it out. Or Roaming Buffalo down in Platte Park. You know, like there are options. But, eh. you know, uh, for a Kansas City guy, it's just like, eh. Uh, nothing like Joe's KC or Jack Stack. Anybody? Kansas City people? All right. I see hands. There's great places, right? There are great places. I just had this uh, restaurant for the first time this past week. It's called Super Mega Bien, which just means really, really good. Um, and so, uh, but it was. It was great. It's in Rhino. It was Super Mega Bien. I loved it. And, um, and, and there are these, like, wonderful places. And you can, go, you can go to Denver Biscuit Company now in, like, four locations and get a Franklin biscuit, which is, like, the best thing in the world, but you have to plan to not do anything the rest of the day. You just have to like plan to be done after your biscuit in the morning. And there, there are just places where you can go, you can eat incredible things and have this incredible food. And, uh, and it's, a really, it's a really exciting thing. And I love that about Denver. I love being able to go to these different places and feast and enjoy satisfying my hunger. And so my question for us this morning is, uh, what are you hungry for? And you're like, I, I wasn't hungry, but now I'm definitely hungry. Is it the Franklin? Is it barbecue? What is it? Um, what are you hungry for? Because you're hungry. We're hungry. We're hungry people. We like to eat. We live in a world that's full of food. But we're hungry in more ways than just for food. We have an appetite for satisfaction. We want to be satisfied. We are designed as human beings to crave satisfaction. That there are cravings in us, desires in us, longings in us that are aching to be fulfilled. Um, one of C.S. Lewis's kind of great contributions to Christianity is his focused attention on the fact that the very existence of appetite kind of demonstrate that there's something out there to fulfill that appetite. And the hunger we have in this world, the hunger we have, whether it's for food or for something else in this world, these longings for satisfaction are evidence in themselves, echoes in themselves that there's something we want, that there's the ability to be satisfied and the dissatisfaction we often feel, maybe latently, maybe kind of subsurface, subconsciously, this dissatisfaction, that occasionally will bubble itself into very kind of like explicit and kind of acute sense of dissatisfaction or depression or kind of sense of longing. That, that existence and the inability to find things that can ultimately satisfy it are in itself the evidence of this reality that we were made for another world, in the words of C.S. Lewis. We are made for, we have these longings that are made to be satisfied in God. Like even, even it's interesting, there are images all throughout the Bible about hungering for God and thirsting for God and feasting on God. E even now, I'm like, I have to be more careful when I talk about like, are you thirsty? Because now there's like, a, it's a sexual innuendo, right? Like, um, like somebody's thirsty if they're really desperate for sex. And I think like, that's just interesting that you're taking these, these, Verbs in this language of hunger and thirst, this longing to be satisfied, and we're applying it to different kind of like cravings, these unsatisfied cravings. 
We're, we're hungry, thirsty people, and we're longing for those things to be, to be satisfied. And that was designed by God, and you're designed to find it in God himself. The difficulty is, in this world, and, and we've talked about this a lot through the Exodus series, is that we come to church and we're kind of like reignited, like, oh yeah, God, yeah, him, it's him. And we confess that we've been hungering and thirsting for the wrong things, we've been pursuing satisfaction in the wrong things, and so we turn back to God in confession of sin and we're reminded of his love for us and his grace towards us and his, his care for us and his mercy, which is beautiful and good and true. And then we go back into our week kind of operating with these kind of like cravings for things in this world that can't ultimately give satisfaction. And so the question we've been asking, and part of the reason why we're taking time to look at these practices, these kind of like things that God has given us, spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, is because there are, there are ways that God has given us to help fight for a hunger for God, to translate our hunger for things into a hunger for God, the giver of those things, the source of that goodness. And in the story of Anna, we see it uh, really, really clearly. In fact, the season of Advent that we're in right now is all about, it's about hungering for God. It's about waiting on him, desiring him, longing for him, anticipating him, like this feast that we were made for that we haven't yet fully enjoyed. And so Advent's a time where we just kind of recognize all that's not yet about the kingdom of God. All that's like not fully restored, that's not fully good, that's not fully right, that's not fully Bible words like righteous. That the world's not yet as it ought to be. And that reality, whether it's internal stuff and these kind of sinful habits we have, these kind of like longings for unhealthy things or these, the injustice in the world or in the city or the brokenness in your past, they're all evidence that the world is not yet as it ought to be, which ought to move us from this dissatisfaction in the way things are, the status quo, to a discontent in this movement to say, we want God to pour out his spirit. We want the fullness of his kingdom. We want the fullness of his presence. We want to walk with him. And that's what Anna, the prophetess in Acts 2, had experienced her whole life. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab the one in the pew in front of you. And I want you to see this in the text. This is Luke chapter 2. It's a really, really um, powerful text. In this passage, Jesus has already been born, but when it, when it introduces us to Anna, she doesn't yet know that. She doesn't yet know it, and it kind of gives us a little bit of her story before the birth of Christ. Um, Anna was an elderly woman. Let me just read it. Um, I'll read a couple of verses here, and then we'll, we'll talk about the kind of experience of Anna, and then we're going to just focus in on uh, how she responded to her hunger for God. This is Luke chapter 2. Starting in verse 36. Here's what it says. And there was a prophetess. And a prophetess, when it's taught biblically, a prophet is somebody who has just divine insight into the hidden things of God. Sometimes that's about the future. Sometimes that's about something present. Sometimes that's about something in the past. But like insight that's like generally speaking hidden to the human eyes that God has given divine insight that they can speak to others. And so Anna was a prophetess and she was engaged in this kind of temple worship and so there was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. It means she was not married, got married, lived with her husband for seven years, and then as a widow until she was 84. Um, there's some debate about whether she was actually 84 in the original language. It's either she lived until she was 84 and she's 84 now, or she's lived 84 years past the death of her husband, which actually is probably more likely, which would mean she's roughly 105, which existed throughout history. There's a whole story about this lady named Judith that was 105, similar things, but she's an elderly woman. 
and she's spent the majority of her life as a widow. And in this culture, in this society, being a widow is a socially, socially marginalized experience. Um, it is, you're lacking social security, any social status. You're lacking economic stability. Um, there's a very kind of significant sense of the widows are kind of paired together often in God's word with orphans as those who are experience, experiencing like inescapable destitution. People in really painful things. So this is a person who's experienced that. And the wholeness of her experience as a widow kind of led her not to um, anger towards God, but a hunger for him. A hunger for his kingdom. So look at what she did. This is, just think about that kind of story. 84 years in a society where she's looked down upon, she's seen as a marginalized person, nobody contending for her, nobody fighting for her. And here's how she responded to that experience. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. In the place of this this deep sense of pain and loss that moved her not to bitterness towards God, but a hunger for him, a hunger for him where she experienced what I need in my life, what this world needs, what society needs is God to come to bring his kingdom, the king that had been promised throughout all the Old Testament prophets. What we want, what we need is we need the presence of God. We need the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one. We need him to come. And when he comes, all things will be restored and the destitution and the brokenness and the grief and the pain and the marginalization and the injustice that I've experienced in the world will be finally made right. The world will be as it ought to be. And that moved her not just to kind of like generally knowing about that, but to real action in her life where she reoriented her life, say, I want the coming of the Christ. I want the Christ to come. And so she did not depart from the temple. She stayed there, lived around it, oriented her whole life around this place where the presence of God would come. And she didn't just kind of orient her life, but she then lived into these practices, these historic, old long-time practices of fasting and prayer. And it says day and night, or night and day, which just means all the time. She was fasting and praying all the time. doesn't mean she had been fasting for 84 years. That wouldn't work. Um, it's like the application is to fast for the rest of, no more food. Sound good? You know, uh, no, that doesn't sound good at all, actually. Um, but she was regularly, continually, persistently, perseveringly praying and fasting. Just praying and fasting. And that was a response, not to some teaching somewhere where somebody said, Christians are supposed to do this. It was a response to a hunger for God. That there's some sense in her, I want the king to come. And she moved into prayer and fasting. And so the, the question that I've been asking as we're talking about this series is, is as we consider this hunger for God, are there, are there ways that God's given us to actually orient our life around that hunger, to actually contend for, to fight for the presence of God or the hunger for God in our own lives. And there are. There are tools of prayer and fasting, disciplines that we were taught through the word of God to orient our life, to say this is a way to fight for a hunger for God. And so we're not gonna kind of lay on us as a church a you ought to and burden you. That's like uh, kind of putting a you need to for God to be happy with you. Um, that's legalism. That's not what we're about. Jesus loves you. More than you can imagine. In fact, Ephesians 3 says, like, Paul's praying that you could just be strengthened internally to understand how, how huge his love is for you. In order that, you'd be filled up, Paul says, with all the fullness of God. 
Meaning that there's ways to live in this life not being filled up with all the fullness. I know him, he loves me, I'm his child, but I'm like operating like with not the fullness of God. I'm operating with like a little bit of Jesus in my life and he loves me, but I'm still trying to satisfy myself in the world and I'm running in all these other directions. And Paul's praying, Spirit of God, would you strengthen your people to know the depth of your love for them, that they'd be filled up with all your fullness. And that's what you long for. As a human, that's what you long for. That's the satisfaction, is to be filled up with all the fullness of God, to walk in his presence, to walk in the spirit. And that reality is something that came in Christ in the very beginning. When Jesus came in the first advent, we call it Christmas. When Jesus came, he came to bring the presence of God. And you notice when he walks around the world, everybody's flocking to him. And when people flock to him, sins are forgiven and people are healed and, and people that are experiencing shame are washed and cleansed and people that have diseases are, are made new and people that are uh, destitute or socially marginalized are brought, made whole and brought into a family. He's like bringing restoration. He's like walking restoration. Like you come near him. Like people are like, I want to just touch his garment because he makes people whole. And he did. And that's what he did. It's a really powerful thing, and yet when Jesus died and rose again, he ascended into heaven, and he gave us his Holy Spirit, which is real and actual. The God, the God of the universe is here, and yet things aren't yet fully, they're not yet fully the way they ought to be, and the response to the not yetness of this world in your own life, in our church, in our city, in the world around us, a response is to hunger for his presence, and a way to do that to respond to that is through the discipline or the practice of fasting, um, which quite simply is just not eating food for a period of time in order to redirect that hunger towards God. And so uh, the question I've been asking is why don't we? Why don't we do that? Because it's like, oh, that feels like an old thing that Christians used to do, you know? And like maybe it like generally feels like, yeah, it feels like it could be a good thing and people should do that. Somebody, I hope people do that and I hope people are fasting and praying for our church. But why don't we? Because I think just generally, if we just did a quick poll, which I'm not going to do, don't worry. Uh, we're all losers together in this whole thing. Um, but how many of you fast regularly? Don't raise your hand, you know, but it would be like not many. And uh, not many of us. Of us. Of us. Of, of me. I don't often. And there are ways where throughout my life in different moments that I have, but saying a regular practice to cultivate hunger for God is something we've avoided. So why? I think there's three maybe reasons. One is not understanding what it is. Two, not understanding why it matters. And three, not understanding how to do it. So we're going we're gonna to talk about those things, try to push through some of those obstacles. And throughout this Advent season, what we're asking as a church, not as a burden, not as you have to, but as an invitation from Jesus to fight for a hunger for God, to consider we're together corporately fasting on Wednesdays, and we'll talk about what that could look like, but what would it look like to, to take some space, create some space where you normally would eat food, and just say, I'm going to turn away from that, and I'm going to actually spend time praying for this hunger for God and me and our community and our city, and we'll talk more about it. But here's these three things. What is it? Why does it matter? And how are we going to lean into it together? Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is, is what is it? And it's the kind of easiest one. It's the easiest one because... Uh, at its very basic, it's not eating food. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Number two, why should we, uh, we'll talk more about 
we'll talk more about um, other ways. There, there are certain reasons. I'll get to this later. There are certain reasons certain people are not able to fast some food. Medical reasons. Maybe it's eating disorders, things like that. And I, and I get that. We want to be very sensitive to that. That's totally like there are ways to engage in this spiritual practice that are different than abstaining from food. That are healthy and good and right and appropriate for you. And we don't want you to feel any shame. We want to be a church that comes around those things. That we support each other, love each other. We all have issues and things we're working through. Whether it's things that kind of have marked us for a long time or things that we're working through right now. We want to be a place where we can do that. Um, but at its very basic level, fasting is not eating food or abstaining from another good thing in order to engage in something spiritually superior. And so abstaining from a good thing in order to feast on or uh, kind of pursue something that is spiritually more valuable. Um, so we're turning away from good things. So fasting isn't like, uh, I've decided, you know, to stop, you know, looking at pornography. I was like, well, you should do that. Uh, you, should, you should, like, pray. You should fast about that and ask God to liberate you from that. But, like, that's just, like, you shouldn't do that. I'm going to stop, like, drinking, like, six drinks at, at an evening. Like, yeah, don't do that. That's not fasting. That's being healthy and normal and, you know, work on those things. Fasting is taking a good thing. That's a good gift. And saying, I'm actually going to abstain from this good gift in order to, like, let that hunger for that thing kind of lead me and translate into a hunger for God. Um, and so there, and this isn't, like, a distinctly Christian thing. There are people and movements, like you think about Ramadan and the Islamic community. Ramadan is a season of fasting that they engage with. People from Israel, Jew, Jewish people engage in fasting. People from other religions engage in fasting. People in Denver culture engage in intermittent fasting as a dietary kind of thing, right? <laughs> Just like, I'm going to not eat meals. That's not biblical fasting, but like, cool. There's good research. There's a whole book about intermittent fasting that I kind of like read a summary of this week. I didn't really read it, so I'm not going to lie to you. But I read a summary of it. And it's like fascinating science, you know, about some of the, the values of intermittent fasting, what it does for your body and prevent against mental disease and physical things and insulin issues. Like, it can be a really healthy thing. It's not a bad thing. And it's not a distinctly Christian thing. But as Christians, we're saying, how do we engage in that practice in order to fight for a hunger for God or to pursue this hunger for God? That's what it is. We're going to talk about abstaining from food or something else good for a period of time in order to reorient that longing for that good thing, that good gift, to the giver himself and the hunger for the giver. We're going to move the kind of like gift out of the way, which is designed by God to show us the goodness of the giver. We're going to remove the kind of like intermediate kind of thing and let the hunger for that thing remind us that hunger is ultimately for God. We long for him. That's what it is. Why should we fast? I'm going to give you three kind of quick things on why we should fast. Um, one, um, we are fasting for the fullness of God's presence and kingdom. Um, we're fasting for the fullness of God's presence and kingdom. This is what Anna was doing in Luke chapter 2. But the question is, all right, Jesus came. Like, should we still fast? It feels like there was a time when Jesus said his followers, like, weren't fasting. So thanks for bringing that up. Um, there is. So in Luke 5, later, uh, or in Luke, yeah, I think it's 5. Yeah, in Luke 5, uh, verses 33 through 35, some people come up to Jesus and they say, hey, the disciples of John, who is the kind of precursor of Jesus, who is like preparing the way for Jesus, the disciples of John fast, and fast often and they offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But your disciples, Jesus, they're eating and drinking like all the time. They're not fasting. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? I want you to hear that, with them. He's, 
He's actually saying, I, I am the lover of the people of God. I'm the one to show people. I'm here to show people the covenant love of God. And when people are fasting, what they're fasting for is my presence. And I'm here. So they don't need to fast. Like we're longing for Jesus to come. And Jesus is like, hi, I'm right, I'm right here. Like fasting has no point when the, when the lover of his people, when the king of kings, the lord of lords, the lover of your soul is right here with us. So he says they don't need to fast because I'm, I'm right here with them already, which is what kind of shows what fasting is about. It's about the presence of Jesus. It's about the presence of God. And he says this, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, which is referring to the ascension of Christ, his ascension into heaven after his death and resurrection. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He's assuming that we, as the people of God, until he comes again, we will respond to our longing for the presence of Jesus with fasting. Like, come again, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha. We want Jesus to come to make all things new, to let the dissatisfaction in our hearts lead to a sense of a discontent in life without the presence of Jesus, which is moved towards these practices of we want you to come. And so we're fasting and praying to take our hunger in this world and the dissatisfaction we feel. And as our body begins to kind of like gurgle up and like literally rumble, we're reminded it is God. We need God. We need Jesus to come again. The old kind of like Anglican phrase, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. This is a part of the gospel. He's coming again. And so to content ourselves in the world or to glut ourselves on the world as a kind of like mitigation of the kind of discontent, dissatisfaction we feel is missing the point of this gospel that he's coming again. It's good news. And so we fight for that. So we fight to kind of cultivate in us, to respond to this ache for God and his kingdom, this longing for him to come. This, this kind of action of putting our stomachs where our spirits are or ought to be, that our spirit is feeling dissatisfaction. Kind of like put our stomach in that same place to kind of help remind ourselves of our love for God. Second, we fast to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. Um, and this is a weird kind of concept that if you're new to Christianity, it's a little bit hard uh, to understand. But we actually believe that humans are material and spiritual beings. That we are created with bodies and flesh and it's good. Everything God made is good. Our bodies aren't bad. But we're also created with the breath of life in us, the spirit of God in us. And we're designed to be physical beings that also have spiritual union with God. And when we turn from God, there's a separation between our spirit and the spirit of God. There's a separation in us from the presence of God. And it led to this constant battle that is inside of you that you wrestle with every single day, a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And so when you turn to Jesus and you trust in Jesus, you're actually experiencing this reconciliation with God, but you still, as a Christian, can walk according to the flesh and not according to the spirit, or you can walk according to the spirit and, in Bible words, put to death the deeds of the flesh. There's old King James language that says, put to death the old man with his practices. And I would talk about putting to death the old man. And people are like, what do you guys believe? You know, like, it's like, this isn't about euthanasia or something. Uh, but putting to death the flesh, putting to death the desires of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh by the power of the spirit. And fasting is a way to tell your body that it's not in charge. That the indulgences, the, the desires, the impulses, the longings, the cravings of your body do not reign. The spirit of God in you as he's working your spirit to grow you into his image, the spirit reigns. And fasting is a way to tell your body, 
These longings, you're not at the command post. You're not calling the shots. I'm not running after all these things. And so Philippians 3 has this really incredible passage where Paul's saying, Jesus is the treasure. He's everything, everything I want, everything I long for. It's in Jesus. And then he says that, watch out, there are among you these evildoers. And it says they, they are those who are, are constantly pursuing the kind of like, the, their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their God is their belly. The one who's in charge is their appetite. Not merely for food, but just for like the longings. And so like, do you just like, hey, if you want it, do it. Like that's a cool, horrible phrase. Um, that's like saying my body's in charge and that makes it the cravings of my body good. And we actually have to tell our body you're not in charge. And fasting is a way to actually put to death the, the desires of the flesh to remind your body it's an exercise of self-control, but also to feed the spirit. There's an old story that went around forever about these two dogs, and, uh, and this is uh, two wolves, two dogs. There's like various variations of the story, various variations. And, uh, and one of them, Billy Graham talks about like um, these kind of like uh, yeah, Native American people group that had these two wolves, a, a black wolf and a white wolf. And, uh, and this guy was a fisherman, but he kind of had the side gig of running this wolf fighting thing. Uh, seems like a good idea to make some money. And so he'd have these things and he'd have people put bets on him, but he would always be able to make money because he would always kind of like know which dog was going to win. And so finally said, how do you, somebody said, how do you know which dog's going to win? He goes, it's easy. It's the one I feed the most. So the week leading up to the fight, he'd just feed the dog that he wanted to win and that dog would win. And that's, and that's real in us. The feeding of the spirit, walking the spirit versus the feeding of the flesh. If you keep indulging the desires of the flesh... Your flesh is going to get strong and your desires are going to be strong as to feel impossible to turn from those things that you want to turn from. And, and at the end of the day, like what this is calling us to, fasting is a way to starve the flesh and to feed the spirit. To say, no, I want to say yes to the spirit of God. I want to say yes to the spirit and I want to say no to these desires and remind my body that it's not in charge. And the last thing is fasting is a way to ask God to move or to give direction in a specific situation. You see this in Acts 13, um, the church, the early church is gathering together and they're fasting and praying. Here's what it says. It says, now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, and a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul himself. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so they were doing this. They were just worship as a part of their rhythm, worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the first missionary kind of like journey that Paul's going to go on. Barnabas and Saul, they took the gospel and they went off and the world has never been the same. But that came because they were fasting and praying. They said, God, give us direction, give us leadership, move and help us see what you want to do in your kingdom, what, what you want to do in us and what you want to do in my life and where you want me to go and how you want me to behave and, and what you want to like, where you want to take me. And so they're fasting and praying and being attentive to the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, set apart Barnabas and Saul. And I'm going to call them out to share my gospel and spread my gospel across the face of the earth. And that's why we're sitting here in Denver, worshiping Jesus as the king of the world. Because a group of people are fasting and praying, saying, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Direct us, lead us. And maybe there's an area in your life, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to engage in this situation? Or, or a specific difficulty, like, God, help me have wisdom about how to engage in this in this issue where there's an obstacle that feels like something you can't get through, something that's conflict with roommates or with family or a thing you're struggling with in your own life. And it's like, God, I want to see you move in this area. 
So fasting is a way to just say, I'm hungry for God to move. Hungry for God to move. I think all of us can respond or relate to some of that. So the question is, like, if, if some of that, like, stirs up in you, how do we do it? How do we do it? And there are lots of different ways to engage. And I just want to give a few specific things. There are regular fasts in the Bible. The early church would fast twice a week uh, from, like, morning, really sunset the night before through sunset. They'd fast from breakfast and lunch and kind of re-engage with the meal in the evening after sunset. That was normal. They did that twice a week all the time. It's like a regular thing. And at some point, like 400 years ago, it faded off. And people were like, oh, no, that feels Catholic or something. You know, like, therefore, um, oh, you know, like Apostles' Creed, yikes. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know this church was like that. Um, it, like something that like felt different, so it faded. But it's like been a part of the church throughout history. Regular fasts, and then there are seasonal fasts. The time of Lent was a time of abstaining for things. The time of Advent was a time of cultivating hunger for God, which is where we are right now. And there were kind of like crisis-oriented fasts, like situational things. Like there's a crisis for the people of God. And Esther led the people of God to fast and pray for three days to deliver them from evil oppression. Like these are happening. And so the question is, what are, what are we doing? How can we lean into this? So I have just a couple things uh, first. One is uh, kind of practically to take tiny steps, you know, uh, baby steps. Bill Murray fans, anybody? What about Bob? Baby steps. Um, to take some baby steps, to not like, I'm going to do a 40-day fast. Good luck. Uh, you know, like it's a, there's a practice. It's like, I'm going to run a marathon. Hold on. Try to go a half mile, you know. Uh, just take it easy. Like cultivate these things. Don't like, I should do, just like maybe join us once a week on Wednesdays from breakfast and lunch and say, I'm not going to eat, but I'm going to create the hour. I'm going to shut off my phone, shut it off. I'm going to shut off my phone, and I'm going to put it on the side. I'm going to take an hour that I would have spent eating or preparing food, or and I'm just going to ask God to move in this area, in a particular area. So, like, creating a plan. So, like, create a plan. What are you going to do? Are you going to join us on Wednesdays? There might be reasons why that doesn't work. What are you going to do? Take little steps. Little steps. What am I going to do? What's something, a time where I could respond to this? Second is plan what you're going to do instead of eating. Like, plan for how you're going to engage in God to create a plan for that. Like, I, I'm going to pray, but I don't know how to pray for an hour. I've never done that before. It's like, okay, take that time off. Like, s slow down. We have some resources for you. We've been passing out emotion Emotionally Healthy Day by Day back there by Pete Scazzaro. It's a great book. You can pick that up, kind of guide some prayer time. We have Advent devotionals over there on the bookshelf. You can grab an Advent devotional. You can go through Psalms. You can read through Luke. You could read scripture. Like, just like, I'm going to read some scripture. I'm going to pray. I'm going to I'm going to be hungry, and I'm going to remember that I need God. I'm going to ask him to give me a hunger. And then maybe journal about it. You're like, oh, that's weird. Try. Write, write about what you feel and why it's hard. And what you're going to find is you're going to get angry and irritable, and it's going to be horrible. And, uh, and it's not going to feel good. It's not going to feel good. And it reminds you of how much we need God. Like, that's normal. You're going to see your flesh start rearing its head. Like, don't say no to me. I was in charge. Your flesh doesn't want you to say no, nor does the enemy of God want you to say no to your flesh. It's bad news for his, his kind of attempts at usurping the reign of God. So engage, what are you going to do? Maybe it's what are you going to pray for? Is there a sin pattern in your life you need deliverance from? Do you feel like I've been fighting this forever? Have you ever fasted and prayed about it? Maybe it's a friend that doesn't know Jesus or a family member that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe it's a... a 
infirmity or a sickness that somebody has and you're praying that God would move in this, like what do you want to see God do? And, and I, I, would, I would resist like praying that God would give you the desires of your flesh. <laughs> and I say that like, God, I want, like I'm going to spend my time fasting and praying for, the, for this thing that like God hasn't promised. And, and maybe it's like fasting and praying that he would give you contentment and peace and freedom with where he has you right now. But what are you going to engage with? Uh, number three, just like practically, uh, be considerate of others. What's not cool is going to lunch with somebody and they like order their food and they're like, well, are you ordering? You're like, ah, no, I'm not. But I don't want to say why because that feels like hypocritical and you're just like weirdly at lunch not eating. Um, <laughs> don't do that. Uh, like so think about like the goal is not to make somebody else feel weird or anything like that. Think about doing it at a time or, you know, avoiding situations where that's going to be something that becomes, a, be, be considerate of others, what that means. Like, honey, I got home from work, she makes this like amazing meal or you get home from work and your husband makes this amazing meal and you're getting home and like, and you're like, actually, I'm fasting today. It's like, well, I just, you know, that's not cool. So just like think about, <laughs> think about people, love people, um, be considerate. And the last is consider fasting from something other than food. Another good gift. And if there's a reason why you can't, like I said, eating disorders or medical issue or something happening. Um, sometimes even we talk about like nursing, mothers, um, like there are reasons to not fast for long periods of time, obviously. It's like probably not horrible. I've talked to people about this. It's not horrible to fast from like breakfast in that kind of a situation. It's like, uh, but I'm just think about, is there something else? Maybe I'm going to fast from technology one day a week and I'm going to not do screens or anything. I'm going to fast from social media. I'm going to fast from TV. I'm going to fast from all streaming services. I'm going to, I'm going to something. And just to say no. And when I want to like pull out my phone and do something on it, like, oh yeah, God, I need you. Not connection, not distraction, not these things. So respond in that way. And the last thing is engage other people, which sounds weird. Um, but to talk to other people about it, to say, hey, would you do this with me? I'm going to be fasting on Wednesdays. Do you want to do this with me? And, uh, and talk about your experience, not as being super spiritual, like I'm going to kind of like put on Facebook, hey, everybody, I'm fasting this week. Who wants to join me? Slash, aren't I great? You know, um, <laughs> don't do that. But ask a friend in your gospel community or a roommate, hey, do you want to do this together? Let's lean into this together. Let's stumble through it together. Um, and, and at the end of the day, at kind of the baseline is your motivations are really important. When your motivations are wrong, this gets really messed up. In fact, Luke 18 is all about somebody who fasted and did other good things for wrong motivations. Luke 18 tells about a really spiritual person, a leader among the people of God, who kind of went to the temple and he's like, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people out there. I, I fast twice a week. I pray. I give money. I do the good things, including fasting. I fast. I do the good things. And there was somebody else who had nothing cool to say about what they had done. Nothing good. Just like felt shame and just beat on their chest said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, you know who goes home secure in my love? Justified. You know who goes home secure in my love? It's the sinner that beats his chest and says, I need mercy. So we don't do these things to prove that we're good or to prove that, oh God, aren't I like a good child? Aren't I the good one? Actually, we're not. We're not. We've all messed up. We've all turned. We've all run away. We've all gone astray. We've all done that. And to pay attention to like, there's so much not Yetness, there's so much not goodness in my own heart. I don't have goodness to offer up to you. I have not goodness in my heart, and I need mercy and grace. And I want to know that mercy and grace. And so, 
And I want to experience that more deeply. And so I'm going to continue to lean into these practices where I can say, God, I want to know more of your love, more of your grace. Not that he would love you more, but that your heart could be more attuned to see and experience the grace of God. Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, loves you. He accepts you. He sings over you. He delights in you. You are clean and beloved. And that's a beautiful reality. And that just comes through trusting in Jesus, not through fasting. But fasting is a way you can respond to that, to say, God, I want to experience that even more. And so we're going to lean into that together. So what I want to do right now is actually just create a moment for you to um, calm your heart down before God and just ask him even now, God, how do you want me to respond? God, how do you want me to respond? And maybe you have to write down like, yeah, I'm going to fast on Wednesdays. I'm going to figure this out. Um, you can write down, I'm going to fast from this. I'm going to fast from food for breakfast and lunch. Or maybe a 24-hour fast for some people. I'm going to fast from food and I'm going to, I'm going to engage in praying for a hunger for you. I'm going to pray for my neighbor. I'm going to pray for my mom or my dad. I'm going to pray for my son or my daughter who's been wandering away from the faith. I'm going to pray for a revival in our city, for renewal in our church, for our gospel community to just erupt in passion for Jesus. Um, Holy Spirit, would you lead in, uh, in powerful ways in individuals' lives, just even right down right now? Here's a way I can lean into this. And would you join me even as we, we pray right now just for a hunger for God, increased hunger for God. Jesus, um, we want you. Um, we want to walk with you. We want to hunger for you. We want to be discontent with lives that are um, lived according to the flesh, that are constantly feasting, feasting on and engaging in uh, these kind of foolish things. Like Lewis said, these were half-hearted creatures fooling about with sex and ambition and drink while this infinite joy is offered to us. Would you help us to turn from those and cultivate in us a hunger for you, that we would walk with you, that we would rejoice in you, that we would long for you, and we would pray, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come again, make all things new, deliver us from even the battle that we have with the flesh, the things that are at war within us right now, feelings of shame or guilt or inadequacy or, or um, complacency or apathy about you. Would you liberate us, come again and make all things new. Um, help us to be a people. They're saying, Jesus, you are everything. You are the treasure. You are the feast. You are the lover of our souls. Give us a hunger for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.